The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Right here on 960theref.com. What's up, dog fans? And even if you aren't a dog fan and you're listening to us, we say what's up to you as well. The crossover podcast right here, 960theref.com. Sam Franco, Chris Brame with you. We're on the other side of 60, episode 61 here as we continue to roll along. Plenty to get to today. We'll talk about Georgia and not so much a breakdown of the Tennessee game. We'll kind of give some thoughts on the on the Missouri game as well, just a game that was a little closer that some might ha- have thought it would be. But we'll talk about Georgia and Tennessee and Georgia and Vanderbilt, two games coming up at Sanford Stadium that the dogs really shouldn't be sweating. So you kind of have to create some storylines and things like that. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Kelly Bryant transferring from Clemson and what that means kind of for the, the, the large scale, I guess, of college football. And then you and I have some gloating to do because we declared the Braves NLE's champions before anyone else did here on the Crossover Podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think we did that at the beginning of September. It, it was, was actually, yeah. well, I think it was after that that West Coast trip where the it Braves was. went to Arizona That's and right. San Francisco and went, what was it, 6-1? and one? Exactly. Yeah. So we had declared it, and obviously the Phillies came to town and the Braves made quick work of them. They're not even going to finish in second place. No, they're not. Right now they're in third place behind the Nationals. So uh, we'll see where they end up. But, yeah, we'll talk about the Braves and then getting ready for the postseason uh, at the end of this episode of the crossover. But first and foremost, man, Georgia got away from a, a game in Columbia, Missouri that, you know, a lot of people found a lot to complain about when that game was over. And kind of my thought was, I guess I really had two thoughts. First, I think Missouri's a better football team than everybody was willing to give them credit for. And second, you know, Georgia won the football game. They went on the road in the SEC and won a game against a team that has given them trouble in the past. Well, you know, Georgia fans found reason to be critical, but there were fans that had problems with last year's win over Missouri because they scored, you know, 28 points. And, you know, that was a game we almost set a school record for total offense. I, I do believe that this year, though, I mean, some of the concerns that people saw with the performance on Saturday are, are valid, legitimate concerns. But in the big picture, the the things that are wrong with Georgia right now, and I mean, they're, they're minor things, but I still look at the schedule and say, well, how many teams on the schedule are capable of beating Georgia anyway? We're just talking like, could Georgia, if Georgia was playing Alabama Saturday, would Georgia win? And I would say no, they wouldn't. Right. But, that's, but Georgia doesn't have to play Alabama until probably December. That's the thing. If Georgia plays Alabama in December, a lot could have changed. Right. A lot could be different. So I'm not willing to make these big, broad, sweeping generalizations that a lot of national media or kind of SEC in general media like to say that there's no way nobody could beat Alabama. Georgia couldn't beat Alabama. And I agree right now Georgia probably couldn't beat Alabama. But that's not to say that won't change because you mentioned the things that Georgia needs to improve upon. You know, maybe the one thing I was surprised about was Missouri's ability to attack the middle of the line of scrimmage with their running game. That was a little concerning to me. But other than that, nothing was of a very big concern to me coming out of that game. But here's the thing. You're hosting Tennessee and Vandy back-to-back weeks, two teams that you are vastly superior to talent-wise. You should be able to kind of get right on some of that stuff, maybe work in some different players or different schemes or something to fix the problems you had 
against Missouri in terms of stopping the run and, and in terms of uh, you know maybe getting a little more pressure on quarterbacks. Yeah, and if Georgia doesn't get some of those kinks worked out in these next two weeks, and that four-game stretch of at LSU, Florida and Jacksonville, at Kentucky, and then home against Auburn looks a lot more daunting than it did post-South Carolina. Well, especially you talk about stopping the run and you talk about Kentucky. I mean, look at what Kentucky did to Mississippi State this past weekend. Billy Benny Snell ran all over them. So just kind of forecasting the season, yeah, these next two games should be a piece of cake. You know, Georgia hosting Tennessee is a 31-and-a-half point favorite. Something like if you went to your, like, uncle or, br- or dad or somebody that was really big into watching Georgia football in the 90s and you told them that Georgia was going to be a 31-and-a-half point favorite against Tennessee at any point, they'd call you crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, I might have called you crazy if you had said that on Sunday. That's that, true. Even after, oh, boy, Georgia didn't look great against Missouri, but Tennessee looked pitiful against Florida with all those turnovers. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the line was going to be somewhere between like 24.5 or 28 points. Mm-hmm. I do think 31.5 is too high, but then again, I've I've watched Tennessee. They've lost by 26 points on a neutral to West Virginia. They can't and by, score. Yeah, and by 26 at home to Florida. So, you know, if they've lost to, to the two big programs they've played they've been beaten by 26 you'd think like well I mean of course George is going to smash them at home and I think Georgia is but 31 and a half is still like that's too much here's the thing Georgia beat this team in Neyland in Knoxville last year 41 to nothing and arguably this team is worse than that team which one Tennessee that's what I'm saying this Tennessee team this year is worse than the one from last year uh, yeah, I mean, they're probably going to end up with very similar records one way or another. Tennessee ain't winning a game until they play Charlotte in, I was gonna say, uh, Vandy's the first week of November. Probably the only team in the SEC that they have a shot at beating. Yeah, because right now, you know, the whole offseason, when you looked at Tennessee's schedule, to me it was like they should have circled the four games in November. Charlotte at home they should win, and then they had Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. But now you look at Kentucky and Missouri, and just based on what we've seen, that Tennessee team doesn't look like they're going to be able to hang no. with those teams. No, I mean, those two teams are way better than Tennessee, and I think Vandy's better than Tennessee too, but that game is in Knoxville, so would, I, I would give them a, I'd give them a crack at it. Would you say it's kind of a three-way sort of quagmire right now when you look at Kentucky, Missouri, and South Carolina for the next best team behind Georgia in the East. I, yeah. we kind of, I wouldn't completely write off the Gators either, but they do have a loss to Kentucky already. Yeah, they're they're probably in that maybe next tier down. I'm not exactly sure about South Carolina yet. You know, we saw what they did against Georgia. We saw them bounce back and, and beat uh, Vanderbilt. So, you know, what exactly are you going to get from South Carolina? I'm not sure, but just based on kind of the hot teams right now, I think Missouri's going to be a tough out for anybody that they go up against on their schedule just because of the way that not only they can throw the ball around, and DeAndre Baker did a phenomenal job of marking Emmanuel Hall basically out of the game this past Saturday, but they're going to be able to move the ball on a lot of teams. So their defense might not be the best, although I think in the first half their defense played really well against Georgia, but that's one to look out for too. And I don't know. Is Kentucky up for a little bit of a kind of coming back down to earth when they face South Carolina this weekend? Well, that you know, that's that is really I mean, to me that's the most interesting game in the league this week. And but you know, you you do have South Carolina coming off a big win in its own right too. So mm-hmm. I'd feel different if like the Gamecocks had been beaten and you know then Kentucky was flying high and everybody patting them on their back. But I mean, the Gamecocks are feeling good too, and they're the team that's got to travel now in consecutive weeks. Mm-hmm. So I don't. That's a hard one 
to really read there, but I mean, it's a big game for both of them. I mean, if you you know if you think playing for second place in the SEC East is you know a big deal, I was gonna say I think the winner of Kentucky South Carolina vaults to being the second best team in the East, but they will have not played Missouri yet. So I you know I think Missouri still works their way, and and even Florida maybe a little bit. I'm not I'm not really ready to go in on them just because they beat Tennessee well no I mean look, think of how quickly things could turn for Kentucky if they lose at home to South Carolina they go to Texas A&M the next week so mm-hmm. then all of a sudden Kentucky's here they're 4-0 they're off to this hot start they've got two SEC wins already and then but within the next two weeks they could they could be two and two in the conference all of a sudden it's like oh okay well they're just back to being Kentucky now but mm-hmm. they are the one team of those three we're talking about that uh, still has Georgia in front of them, and the dogs have to go to Lexington. So, and Kentucky's talking right now. I mean, they they're letting you know that they think they're pretty good. I mean, Benny Snell. I heard him uh, late the other night on um, ESPN Radio with uh, Freddie Coleman, uh, who was interviewing him. And and yeah, he, he seems and look, I'm I'm all for players being confident in their ability, but you know, he just better be careful about writing some checks that Kentucky can't cash. But yeah, I know he I guess he he said some things that were not taken well by South Carolina and mm-hmm. I, I saw that Will Muschamp actually told his team that if any of them trash talked Benny Snell though that he would kick them off the team. <laughs> so he doesn't want any nonsense going on Saturday night, but um uh here's the thing about Kentucky is I I mean, I kind of feel that uh, vibe that I'm I'm sort of buying in that they're not a fluke right now at this point because the thing that they did against Mississippi State that really um, that sells them to me is they held Mississippi State to 200 yards of offense. I mean, that's a really good Mississippi State offense. So it's the idea that Kentucky now actually has a functioning defense that um, you know that that maybe gives them a little bit more credibility than they would have had in the past. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that, and it's just uh, it's just weird right now in the SEC East that we've kind of seen this just flip. You know, Florida and Tennessee way down at the bottom, uh, South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, you know, all all playing good football. Vanderbilt, a team that's beaten Tennessee what now twice in a row. Uh, it is. It's two in a row, and I think it's like four out of the last six, and two in a row that were blowouts too. By yeah, the way, yeah, yeah, and that's just crazy that Vandy has done yeah. that. Uh, but it's just weird. The SEC East has flipped. The the West seems like it's kind of getting back to normal a little bit with Alabama, Auburn, and LSU kind of being the top. And then everybody else kind of still trying to figure stuff out. Well, you know, Texas A&M is kind of the interesting team in there. They've got two losses already, but they've played Clemson and Alabama, so they've got those two losses. But I mean, A&M and, and almost uh, almost beating Clemson in week two, and then you know, I mean, they got blown out last week ultimately by Alabama. But I didn't. That game wasn't as lopsided as uh, maybe the final score shows. I, I felt like Texas A&M did kind of like hang in there as best as you apparently can right now against Alabama. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess they'll have to weather the post-Alabama, you know, hangover that so many teams seem to have. But they should get by that. I believe this is the weekend they play Arkansas, who are just <laughs> Yeah, that's right, because it's at SEC. the Jerry Dome. Yeah. yeah. Arkansas is just not even an SEC caliber team right now. No, That's like not. a Sunbelt team is playing in the SEC. They're not. And they've got a uh, former Clemson assistant, Chad Morris, as their head coach. And speaking of Clemson, Kelly Bryant. I mean, Kelly Bryant may join up with Chad Morris at Arkansas. He has decided to transfer from Clemson 
after starting the first four games, being told he was not going to start game five. And with the new redshirt rule, if he plays one more snap for Clemson this season, that's it. He loses his eligibility. Whereas if he stops playing now, he can graduate and then go, or he might already be graduate. I'm not 100% sure, but he still has a year of eligibility left under the graduate transfer rule, which is what he's going to do. And it's so funny to me how the vitriol has been thrown his way in all of this, like a lot of people banging on uh, Kelly Bryant for making this decision. Dabo Swinney, not one of them, at least publicly, by the way. Uh, you know, he's, he said that, you know, he's not going to say anything bad about the kid because he's a good kid. I think this is a situation where it, you don't always have to have, like, one side being right and one side being wrong. I think both sides are right here. I think Clemson was right to do what's – and Dabo Swinney was right to do what's best for the team in terms of starting Trevor Lawrence because he's obviously the better quarterback. But Dabo also helped out uh, Kelly Bryant here by saying this now because it allows him to not play anymore this season and be eligible to play somewhere else next season. So I think Clemson and Dabo, you know, they're right. And I also think that Kelly Bryant's right. Because if he's not going to be the starter and he wants to preserve his eligibility and maybe go play football somewhere, then this is the right decision for him. I I, I applaud how Dabo handled it. Because in this day and age where you've got these control-freak head coaches mm-hmm. that are just like basically like tyrants, um, you know, see Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy because they've got a kid, a wide receiver, who's decided he wants to transfer too because he's – not getting enough targets and enough balls thrown his way. And Gundy has said, by the way, they won't let any media ask any of the players about this. And if they do, they're like banned from games for the rest of the year. No, that's what I'm saying is they came out and said, not only that, but they wouldn't have access to any players. If they asked any player about um, McCleskey, I think is his name. Yeah. And so, you know, so there's one coach, just this, I thought he was a man, but he's just this hypersensitive guy. But Dabo is, yeah, he's doing it. I mean, it really is. It's in the best interest of Kelly Bryant. And now he can go play one more year someplace else. And now the problem for Clemson, though, is if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt, then Ooh-hoo. I mean, maybe, maybe Kelly Bryant, they'll be like, hey, just hang by the phone, though. If we need you, you can come back. I don't know how it works. And this is the issue when you recruit multiple five star players. And I don't remember if Kelly Bryant I don't was. Think Bryant was but, but still, if you recruit multiple elite players to one position and they're not playing enough yeah they might just leave and that's the thing I mean there's a worry that that may happen here at Georgia I mean all is quiet on the western front right now so we're not worried about it but next year when you head into spring look Jake Fromm's a starter right now and he'll be the starter for the rest of the year that's no guarantee he's a starter next season what if uh, Justin Fields does better in spring and, and and fall camps and Kirby's like look pulls the same card that Dabo just pulled I mean, he's saying, look, I know you've been the established starter, and Jake Fromm, you've gotten us to the college football playoff, the Rose Bowl, the national championship game, but this guy we think gives us a better chance to win. I mean, that could happen. So It could. The, the one, I mean, one thing that I keep saying about why what Georgia's situation seems a little different to me is that when Fields committed, he knew Fromm was already he here. Mm-hmm. And even when, you know, I guess Fields wasn't here when Fromm committed, but Fromm committed with Eason. Now, I get I mean, Kelly Bryant was there, and then they went out and signed Lawrence. Jalen Hurts was at Alabama. Yeah, then Bryant they, was already there. Yeah, then mm. Jalen Hurts was at Alabama. Then they signed Tua. So it's one thing where you're already there, and you've played, and you've had some success, and then they bring in this hotshot freshman and like takes Fields your job. Kn- knew what he was getting into. Right, Fields knows what he's getting into. And even, you know, I mean, Fromm to some extent, although, again, Fields wasn't here, but, you know, Fromm did, did sign and commit here with Jacob Eason already in the fold. So... 
you know, those guys were getting into situations where they knew they'd be competition and maybe no guarantees that they would be the uh, starter. But I guess we've got this, what, John Reese Plumley, who's coming in from yeah. Mississippi. So, I mean, I don't know if it came to that next fall where, you know, there was a one of those guys from or field suddenly wasn't happy. I mean, at least maybe Georgia wouldn't be in uh, such a lurch if uh, if you had one guy left and he suddenly got hurt because that's the the shaky ground that Clemson's on now if something were to happen to Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, exactly. And it also makes you kind of think, looking at the situation at Alabama, why Jalen Hurts isn't doing this? Because he, if he plays one more snap, he goes from having two years of eligibility left to one as a graduate transfer. Yeah, well, I, and I guess it's like, see, I think he will leave at the end of this season. He'll graduate in December. That's a difference between, because Bryant, I believe, has graduated, and Bryant does not have, I mean, where he's got, it's one year and that's it, where Hurts, at least, he's got that other year in hand, whether he plays another game this year or not. So, you know, I guess that's where Hurts has decided to stick it out in uh, Tuscaloosa, and then he'll have one more year next year to go and play wherever he wants. But, um, and I'm, I mean, I imagine he's, that's absolutely what he'll do. So you'll have Bryant oh, yeah. and Jalen Hurts will be like these two big free yeah. agents out there next fall. And that's the thing. They're going to have their pick of whoever they want because there's going to be a lot of schools coming after them. I'm sure Auburn will be interested because Stidham will be gone. I'm sure UCLA will be interested. I'm sure Oklahoma will be interested because Kyler Murray's going to be gone. So, you know, there's a, there's certainly uh, going to be some some recruiting and some, you know, trying to woo both of these guys, and it's going to be interesting to see where they end up. But, I mean, Hurts would be just so much more attractive if he would go ahead and stop playing for Alabama now because he would have two years. Yeah, and maybe that's how it'll play out now. Well, I guess that'll be the interesting thing to see with Bama. I mean, what but, if Saban asks him to go in on Saturday and, and he, he just refuses? Goes, no. <laughs> I the sense I get there is he's not going to do that. I, I don't mean, think otherwise so. he'd be gone already. Right. I mean, he seems like a really stand-up guy. You know, Hurts obviously voiced some frustration before the season, but we haven't really heard anything since. Yeah. So, you know, he, he's a team guy, and I think he likes being – but at the same time, you know, after this season, yeah, he's going to go somewhere else. Because two is not going to see a fourth quarter until when? Because he ain't playing the – I mean, he's only played the – Saturday was the first fourth quarter he played. Right. He's not playing in much of the second half at all, I would imagine, against Lou Lafayette. I mean, he might play one quarter. Yeah, and then who do they have after that? Arkansas and Tennessee. He won't have to play the fourth quarters there. I mean, Missouri, maybe. Yeah. LSU, I guess. I mean, probably against LSU, but there's, I mean, he hadn't, you know, it's he's playing the first and second quarters, and that's about all he needs to go. Absolutely, and it's it's just crazy that you know they have this situation worked out the way that they do because you know it easily could be a Clemson situation, and Nick Saban would be. You think if Jalen Hurts transferred right now or like just left right now? You know how ornery Nick Sabe that would make him? I mean, he's already bad in these press conferences. be even worse. Which would be a, a reason to root for Hurts to leave. Yeah. So, so we could get, like, angry, ornery Nick Saban more so than he already is. Which is hard to believe that that's possible, but it indeed is. So that's kind of the, the, the shakedown for Georgia right now is, look, you got Tennessee, you got Vanderbilt, and then there's the trip to LSU. I think for the fans – you know, we sit back here and we're already looking at the LSU game. Like, obviously, we want to see Georgia pound Tennessee. We want to see Georgia pound Vanderbilt. But the result of those games 
isn't really in doubt unless something really bad happens. Well, yeah, and that was like I think it was Dog Nation earlier in the week that had a, a post about you know after the midway point of the season, what should be the talking point with Georgia football? I'm like that they're six and zero because that's it. I mean, after in the least in the regular season, the Vanderbilt game next week will be the the halfway point of the season, and that better be what Georgia is six and zero that we're talking about heading into the. Uh, to LSU, but some things I would like to see happen these next two games. Georgia has, uh, it's, it really is, an, it's, and I guess Swift did finally acknowledge, because I've been saying it, there's something that looks off about him, but he's got to have some kind of an injury. And he did admit that he's been battling a groin injury since, uh, since training camp. Because uh, even last week against Missouri, when he got like 15 or 16 touches, there were some times where it's just like, he doesn't have that next gear that he had a year ago. And so I'd like to see him, you know, he says, look, I'm fine. But you want to see that burst come back, and I think that's the one thing that Georgia definitely needs is the the running game from the running backs to have more pop than it has so far this season because uh, you know, Georgia's got nine runs this year of 20 or more yards, and like five of them have come from the wide receivers uh, between uh, Simmons, Hardman, and, uh, and then Robertson, who's got a couple. So, you know, the running backs outside of, you know, Holyfield's got a couple of big runs, but Swift doesn't have a, a carry yet of more than 20 yards. Yeah, and he came out, you know, talking about that groin injury that he's kind of been dealing with. Hopefully it's not a big deal, but sometimes these injuries are just one where it's a pain tolerance thing and it's just going to affect you maybe until you can just get some rest. And I think that's what they've been trying to do and not necessarily putting as much of a workload on him, although he did lead the dogs in carries this past week. Right. Uh, I think it was 16 compared to Elijah Holyfield's 14. Yeah. But still, uh, this is a situation where, look, you're playing Tennessee and then you're going to play Vanderbilt. That should afford DeAndre Swift a little more time to rest. Yeah, I just there were like a, two or three times in the game when he did, you know, he kind of, he kind of got the edge and – you know, had a good first move there, and it just—it was one of those spots where a year ago you would have seen him just take off and not get tackled, but it was like just like that he got hit and was brought down, and I—that's just where he has just not looked like he's had that same burst of speed that he's had. And I've been saying, I mean, to me, it's—you know—he only even going back to the middle game when he got four carries. I guess we talked about it on here was it's one thing to we don't need you to beat Middle Tennessee State, so we're going to save the uh, miles on your body for later on in the year. But, I mean, four even in a game against Middle Tennessee State is an awfully light workload. And then, you know, yeah, he had the, the, the carries last week to lead the team, but he just has seemed to be missing that step and that next gear to, to really turn it on. And so I guess he did finally you know, acknowledge that he has been dealing with a groin injury. But, I mean, I, was, I suspected there had to be something wrong with him because he just has looked off. Yeah, he has. So uh, hopefully he's able to get back to uh, you know the freshman that ran it back to Philadelphia levels uh, as the season goes on, and as hopefully he can get a little more rest these next two weeks because Georgia shouldn't need him to beat Tennessee or Vanderbilt. No, I mean even I mean we got a lot of injuries right now. I guess Monty Rice is still kind of mm-hmm. questionable for Saturday. Um, you know, which by the way, I mean I didn't even realize until after the game, to be honest with you, that he didn't even play against Missouri. So when you start talking about Georgia's woes, stopping them on the ground, I mean, mm-hmm. that certainly might have contributed some to it. But um, I think Andrew Thomas is another guy, too, that's kind of will he or won't he because he got his same ankle basically rolled up the exact same way that it happened the yeah. previous time. We know Cleveland is out right. um, on that offensive line, so we are dealing with some injuries all of a sudden. But, yeah, I mean, either the dogs still should have – relatively sweat-free uh, Saturdays here coming up the next two games. 
All right, before we wrap up this episode of the crossover right here on 960theref.com, uh, we're going to talk about the Braves and their run here to the NL East Championship. Bram and I have to gloat because we basically, like a week and a half early, declared the Braves NL East champs, and then they went on and win, won it thanks to uh, the great performances against the Phillies, the four-game sweep at home, just putting it completely out of uh, out of reach. Although the Phillies aren't even the second-place team in the NL East anymore. It's the Nationals. But the Braves are going into the postseason with an injury to Dansby Swanson. You know, they're, they're shelving him for the rest of the regular season, which is four games remaining. And he's got like a ligament injury in one of his hands. And hopefully this is going to be a, a thing where it's just kind of a pain tolerance issue. Because, you know, not having Dansby, he's been one of the Braves' best players down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, he's been, you know, pretty pretty solid with the glove defensively. And he's been hitting a lot better. Yeah, he's been coming along at the at the at the plate too. And then it all you know, then it, it gets to where, you know, you've got to figure out, you know, the roster and how many pitchers you want to take. And so, I mean, Snitker's gonna have to decide, well, now do I have to I have to keep Culberson in the on the lineup mm-hmm. in case Swanson can go, right. but then he can't, so then you know, it kind of burns a spot there. You're going to have Swanson and Culberson. Yeah, and maybe you basically you're not... taking away a pitcher, I would yeah. assume. There. So, you know, that's um, – I, I guess Atlanta says they'll know more. When The division series starts Wednesday. I guess Thursday. Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, and the crazy thing about all of this is that the Braves might not know who they're going to be playing because, in theory, the Braves could finish in first in the National League. I mean, I think they're three games behind the Cubs right now and the Cubs got taken to extras but ended up winning against the Pirates the other day. So I think right now the Braves – The Brew Crew's hot too, though. They are. but I, And they're like a half a game behind the Cubs, I think, right now for that division. So there's a lot yet to be decided, and the Braves might not know who they're playing until like the day before. So it's possible that they'll – right now the Rockies, I believe, are in first place are, yeah. in the NL West. So – Anything is possible right now. It's so crazy how the American League is completely locked up. The Yankees are taking on the A's in the wild card, and then you have uh, Cleveland, Boston, and um, is it Seattle? Houston. Houston. Thank you. Houston. I don't know why I forgot them. They're only the defending World Series champions. But, uh, you know, it's just so funny how the American League completely locked up and the National League the only team that has like clinched their division is the Braves. Yeah, I'm rooting for the uh, like a, a playoff on Monday, either for a wild card, the last wild card spot, or for the uh, NL West. Well, you might the have to have Dodgers. a one game wild card to determine the one game wild card. How's that work out? Because, like you said, like if there's basically if you have two teams that are tied for like the second wild card spot, right. they have to play a wild card game to see who gets into the one game wild card. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's just it's crazy, and maximum chaos could still ensue there. Well, the other angle too is if the if the Rockies and Dodgers tied for the NL West, they have to play to see who wins the division, and that's considered a regular season game. Right. So the loser of that game could end up losing that second wild card spot to the Cardinals. That's right. Yeah. Which is just nuts. Because that would count against them as a regular season game. And if that game. counts as another regular season game, then that's they've played 163 games. Yes. Which and, is funny. I mean, maybe that could swing. Although, to, honestly, as far as like the home field goes for the Braves, and if, if they play the Rockies or the Dodgers, keep in mind, the Rockies swept Atlanta in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and the Dodgers won three out of four from the Braves in Atlanta. So I don't even know if the location of the series really matter. matters. No, I mean, yeah. you want to be at home because – 
you know, you're at home, it's more comfortable. But some people would say, like, being around friends and family and all that stuff might be distracting. So, honestly, it might be better for this team to be on the road. I don't know. It's certainly better if Julio Tehran doesn't have to pitch at home. But it seems like he's in the rotation now. Or at least, you know, maybe the fourth guy. Because I think right now, I don't think Newcomb's in. I, I think you've got Fultonevich, Gosman, and then your third is Anibal. either going to be Anibal Sanchez or Julio Tehran. And then, you know, depending on if you use a four-man rotation, it's just because Tehran... Honestly, I understand the weaknesses. You don't want a pitcher that gives up, you know, early runs and you don't want a pitcher that gives up home runs in the postseason. But that's those are two things that he is weak at. He gives up early runs yeah. and then he kind of settles they in. They can't use him. Or he gives up the home runs. But the thing is, the last couple of months, he's been pretty good. Nah, they can't use him. <laughs> I mean, the arguments there on either side because yes, it feels like history tells you pitching him at SunTrust Park in the playoffs would be really stupid, and even pitching him in the playoffs because he just isn't consistent. But at the same time, he's been one of the Braves' better pitchers here down the stretch. Yeah, well, Fultonevich and Gosman are definitely They're the one top two. two. And then I guess you could you know, throw in a case for any of those between Sanchez, between uh, Newcomb, and between um, Tehran. No, even shoot, Tuki Toussaint. Yeah, I know. What about him? He's pitched better than all three of those. Well, he'll, I, he'll definitely be in the bullpen mix. Yeah, he, he'll be kind of maybe – if. Like, say if you do start Tehran, he gets shelled for a home run or two in the first couple innings, then you bring in Toussaint maybe in long relief. Yeah. But uh, this weekend, just before we even get to the playoffs, this weekend's going to be fascinating to to pay attention to in baseball because the Braves still need to keep winning in terms of where they want to finish. And then just the division slash wild card races everywhere else well, in the league. And I think the the, the Dodgers-Rockies race is interesting because the Giants – pushed Bumgarner's final start back to Friday so he could face the Dodgers. Which is awesome, by the way. Good for them. Yeah, and the Nationals and Rockies play, and Scherzer's probably not going to make his last start now because no. he already got his 300 strikeouts. And, and he lost the Cy Young. He's not going to win the last, Cy Young. Like last yeah. night solidified, and I say last night because we're recording this on Thursday in that Wednesday night performance from Jacob deGrom against the Braves, that solidified the Cy Young. He yeah. was unbelievable. So the Rockies are going to get to avoid Scherzer, probably. Um, I don't know if that's official yet or not, but I'm going to guess they will. And the Dodgers are going to have to face Bumgarner. So I guess kind of advantage Rockies there. Yeah, I'd say that. And and the crazy thing is, what was it? The Diamondbacks led the NL West in like June, July, August, and September on the first of on each the of those day, months. Yeah. And now they're like eight games out. <laughs> And barely over 500. Yeah, yeah, which is just crazy. Which is like, I mean, kind of like the the Phillies and Braves. I mean, the Braves lead them now by like 11 or 12 games, oh, don't yeah. they? They're they're dusted. Yeah. They're toast. And they have just completely, ever since, like basically since game one of that four-game set in Atlanta to uh, for the the last uh, you know home series for the Braves, the Phillies just completely fell yeah. apart. No, I mean, it would be weird like 20 years from now, you look at the standings and be like, oh, the Phillies really didn't do much. And like... But you think about it. They were it. in first place for a good chunk yeah, like, of the no, summer. I mean, they went into the last month of the season, and it was like there was a there was a it was the Braves and the Phillies in the, in the playoff chase, mm-hmm. and the Phillies completely fell off the map. So again, it's going to be very intriguing to pay attention to the postseason baseball, and, and even before that, like I, we still have like each team basically has three games left. I think some have four, but you're looking at it right now, and you're like okay, this is going to be nuts just to see how this plays out because, again, the American League has been settled for a while, but the National League, 
may not even be settled until like a day or two before the wild card even starts yeah. because of all these potential tiebreaker scenarios. Yeah, in the so, AL, the only thing on the line is uh, A's and Yankees who host. Who host. That's yeah. the only thing that has yet to be decided. So uh, just uh, have fun paying attention to the baseball, maybe off to the side this weekend because uh, college football is still going on in earnest. Can I shout out to the three and zero Miami Dolphins? You too, can absolutely. All right, thank you. No doubt. Ryan, they go Tannehill. to New England Sunday. I know. Ryan Tannehill in his last eleven starts is ten and one, which is crazy. Tom Brady is seven and four. Ooh, that tells you to take the Patriots. This yes, weekend. yes, it does. Unfortunately, <laughs> no question about that. All right, Brian, we will uh, be back next week uh, talking about the Braves getting ready for the playoffs. Uh, we'll be talking about Georgia, I guess, getting ready for Vanderbilt. I don't know. Maybe we'll have a scenario. I- I'm praying for this. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. I'm not predicting this is going to happen. I'm just going to say that, good God, I hope Nick Saban asked Jalen Hurts to go into the game this weekend, and he just says no. Yeah, fingers crossed. That would be yeah. incredible. All right, for Chris Bram, I'm Sam Franco. Thank you so much for listening. Back next week with another episode of The Crossover right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brame on 960theref.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.